Good morning, and welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas, where the mission is to serve the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so glad you could join us today as our pastor, Aaron Williams, shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, there are several ministry opportunities that you can be a part of. These include the food pantry and commodity distribution, which provides assistance to those who are experiencing a food shortage in both our community and the four-state area. In addition, our worship team, now known as Fire of FBCR, provides music each and every Sunday morning during the worship service. The team is growing and welcomes new talent as God provides. This includes either singing, playing a musical instrument, or being a part of our technical crew. And a third ministry opportunity involves the crisis team, which is available to provide assistance in case of a fire, flood, or any other unforeseen emergency. Please contact the church office for details on these ministry opportunities. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. If you have a Bible with you, I hope you'll open it to the book of Matthew. If not, if you have a phone, then open it up. Let's get, we'll get something open where we can read together. How's that sound? Amen. I won't preach anything fancy this morning. Not that I'm ever able to preach anything fancy. Matthew chapter 4. I think I'll read one verse of scripture if I may. I don't have three points in a poem. Chapter 4 verse 18 and 19. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I was thinking about that this morning as we were in our classroom and we were teaching the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount may seem very simple, but it was the discipleship training Jesus gave to 12 men who would then be the representatives after he was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven. These are 12 men he sowed his life into And the Sermon on the Mount, although it was heard by others, it was meant for the 12 disciples. It was a kind of basic training for the military objective that they had in mind. And it would not be military like you think of today where you defend a country, but they would be defending the Word of God. And they would be sent to nations and to uh, cities and countries. And so as we think about being a church, maybe you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe he said to you, Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so there are some questions, and that may sound too simple, like, well, what do you mean? I'm following Jesus. I'm a fisher of men. And so I want to ask a few questions about this simple statement that Jesus made. How does he do that? Can he do that? I mean, is he the one able to make you a fisher of men? Or do do we have a way of getting in the way in so many programs on how to build people and build churches? Can we get in the way? Can we have our own ideas? Can we have good intentions and still get in the way? I think the answer is yes. And this week I have just labored in myself, examining myself, not because there was any drastic problem. I was examining myself because I remember the day that Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Now, I didn't know the language, but I knew for sure, without Christ, there was no hope. I knew that when I walked the aisle and followed Christ, that I laid my sin upon Him. I know one thing today, what He did was extraordinary in my life. 
and it lives 26 years later. And to be honest with you, I can't keep a diet for two weeks. <laughs> if that tells you anything about how powerful God is. I remember saying to a pastor when I was first born again, in six, I'll give this six months, and if Jesus Christ is not a reality to my life, I will be out of here. You see, I had heard, heard the knock upon my own heart. I'd heard the Savior's cry in my ear that I could be born again, that I could be saved. And I walked down an aisle and didn't know what it meant. I didn't know Jesus and I didn't know any theology and all this stuff we've got going on today. It's amazing to me how much we can almost rela- uh, begin to replace the gospel with so many facets. And I tell you, God is able like you have seen this morning, you'll begin to see at the end of this service, God's going to change lives, period. I think of men like George Whitfield and the Wesleys of their day, and they gathered together into rooms and they cried on their bed because they knew God's power and what he could do in somebody's life, not only somebody's life, but in their own life. And he began to transform them. They knew what they were up against in the day was not a reality where the truth of the word of God is. What I mean by that is that the church of their day looked drastically different from the scriptures that we read in the Bible. And that's where we're at in America, whether we like to face it or not. We might as well be real with one another. The fact that we have churches loaded around the country that are dying, and quite frankly, some of them need to die. We need to give them a funeral because they focus so much on their self and not the gospel where someone can be touched and healed by the power of God that that's how we've ended up in this state where church became civic club and not the place where Christ could just elevate and touch a broken life. Jesus said, I was anointed for a purpose, and that is to bind up the brokenhearted, to get a hold of the captive, find the hungry, find the one in prison. I want to go to those. And, and so what we see today, the churches are this church is growing. Why? Because she's not focused on herself. You don't have to be large. We don't want you to be real large. How's that? Every time the beehive gets full, we expand. That's what we do. No, there's a few amens. Amen. If God could do it with 12 and he sends them to a nation, I said to a church a few weeks ago that had five people, what can God do with you? If he can send 12 to the nations, can he send five to the country? If he sent 12 around the world and said, you're the salt and the light of the whole world. And they're pretty shaky. I wouldn't have left them. Quite frankly, they were a mess. In my opinion. I'll probably get a letter from the radio broadcast on this. Well, the truth is, Mary Magdalene was more stable than all other than John who stood with with the mother of Jesus and then was leaving with the mother of Jesus. Other than him, everyone else failed the test at the cross. Mary Magdalene was there. Mary Magdalene was the burial site. Mary Magdalene came that morning early and found his resurrection. He said, follow me. Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisherman. You know who Peter was? He was a raw fisherman. And I'll tell you another thing. None of the 12 men were out of the church. I've said this before, and it doesn't matter to me. It needs to be said again and again and again and again around the country, all over the world. Jesus Christ is enough. That means Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. You don't have to do a bunch of other things. It's like Jesus Christ is actually enough. He can pave a way for you to walk. It doesn't matter where you're at. 
and I'm, I'm not apologizing for this, but this morning, you know, the str- what struggle do you have, preacher? The struggle I have is that I'm really not a good pastor in the sense of three points in a poem. I'm not Dr. Phil. I'm not Dr. Phil for the country or for the church. I'm a preacher of righteousness. Why? Not because I'm great, but because I believe the gospel. I believe that a lady can hit the altar this morning and her life be transformed forever. And in 26 years from now, she can preach with a passion that knows they have prayed in secret and God rewarded you openly. I believe that broken men and women around the country can actually put their faith in Christ. I don't care how simple it seems. The intellectuals of the day have nothing to offer. What do you say to the graveside if you're a performing atheist of that funeral? No passion. It wouldn't blow the hat off the devil's head. I know what it looks like. And I say this around the country. We're not flirting with sin. We're not playing with the world trying to see what we can do to build the church in numbers so that somebody will approve us. We're either approved in God because the Spirit of God signatured that He forgave our sin and we are who we are in Him or we're nobody at all. You know why I'm so stirred up this morning? Because I remembered this week how many times I spotted and known God to be be who He is in a situation or in somebody's life. Are, are you... Can I ask you something, whether you listen in here or in the radio or the podcast? Are you so burdened over a situation that God wakes you up that it, it affects your days? Are you praying about that in a way that could... Could, you think God could actually do something when you pray? Have you ever prayed and seen God answer miraculously because He, he heard you? Or do you think prayer is just something that goes on and somehow it can psychologically help you? Forget it. God will hear your prayer. The last thing we need is more fancy preaching. We don't need any more Greek and Hebrew. You think I knew Greek and Hebrew when I came to Christ? No, I knew I was failing. I knew I was in a deprived state. So what's this going to take? I believe a church like this can actually go somewhere and do something. And you are doing something. Guess what? You're feeding the poor. You are feeding the poor. Do you think whenever you hand out canned goods and a mother that can't feed her children? Do you think there's something greater a church can do than that? You're providing a way for people to minister. The worship team practices every week. They give their life on nights and their time. They drive to the church. Why? Because they want to serve God. And where does God's power begin to precede our performances? Whether it's in preaching or otherwise. That's why I say this morning, I don't want them to battle. It don't matter. You serve God, let Him do it. doesn't matter. I have to be the greatest preacher this morning. We'll see if the power of God will do His thing. I'm going to find out at the end of the service if the Spirit of God can still hover over a crowd like a chicken broods her eggs and waits for them to hatch. I'm going to find out at the end of the service. But I tell you, you're going to have to move before God. It's not enough to sit in the pew and just wait on hope that it changes. It's going to change because you move toward Him. 
Seek Him and let Him find you. Find you in your situation that's dark. I think we have some situations, even those that are sick in the church, and I, is it okay with you if I can't be happy with it? I'm not comfortable with it. How's that? I mean, in some respects, I thought this morning we would just have a prayer meeting this morning. I think it would be good for me to quit early. We'll put some other guy on the broadcast next week. I want to know where you are in God. I want to know if you put your faith in a real way. I don't mean ask you if you've ever been a member of a church somewhere or something. I mean, do you remember the time when Jesus Christ forgave your sin? It's like your birthday to you. I can remember mine. February 14th on Valentine's Day, I met the lover of my soul. The one who paid the price for me. The one who's eternal. Will we put our faith in him today? You see, this fisherman, he wasn't much of a fisherman at first. And I'll tell you something about Peter. He was the loudest guy in the bunch. He would, every time Jesus has a question, he always was ready to answer, you know. Kind of an aggressive young evangelist, you know. Then he got a little bit farther and he got to see the work Jesus would do. Jesus would feed the 5,000. Man, that must have been something. Jesus got ready to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. He took Peter, James, and John. It said about those three men historically that they were called the sons of thunder by Christ. They had explosive personalities. Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine going to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus Christ is transfigured? Everything is a glorious white there going on. And Peter immediately says, hey, we maybe need to build a tabernacle. It's kind of like, let's build a church right here, you know. And Jesus always said to him, follow me and I'll make you a fishers of men. How many kind of things do we have to do to try to talk people into Jesus when we just need to let the Spirit of God do it? You see, the difference is that he could take this number of people today on this service and the Holy Spirit begin to convict and knock on the heart and lead you in the position that God wants you to be. And this is how your life's made whole. It's not done any different than that. It's not, you're not intellectually changed because you all of a sudden believe because a greater preacher just became doctor feel for you to get you to feel good about the situation you're in quite frankly if you're convicted this morning i don't want you to feel good about it how's that if you're doing sin i don't want you to feel good about sin i hope you're convicted i want you to come let god raise that weight off your shoulders because sin's heavy and sin will wear you break your life up and sin will keep you from having what god really wanted which was his joy and his peace and it's for real and if you've ever experienced it and then begin to folly with it and become just a static church member, then what happens is you lose the joy and peace and you just do it because it's just a thing you're supposed to do. Some of you are desperate for God. You have a situation that's desperate. It's no problem to get desperate. But Peter started following him and, man, so can I ask you a question about this fisher of men? How are you doing at fishing? I mean, I went, I went the other night fishing in the pond, and the crappie were biting. And so I cast three times, caught a crappie, and took a picture. Because <laughs> to tell you the truth, I didn't know if it was the last crappie I was going to catch. Cast two more times, another crappie took a picture. And the whole time, I'm sending this to a friend, not to Bruce, because Bruce will send pictures that really. <laughs> but I sent another picture. And I said, hey, cast a few more times to cut another one. If I told you I was a fisher of crappie by the end of the night, I could prove it by a bucket full of fish. I say today that there's many professing Christians that have never, never been a fisher of men. And they don't have a stringer. 
to show they've ever fished anybody. Oh, we know the bait. We know the gear. Some years ago, a friend of mine said he wanted to go fishing. He came. He had the wonderful boat. He came from Central Missouri. And when he got out and he had all the fancy everything, he unzipped the cover on the rod and reel. Everything. He had the glasses that he said he could see into the water with. He could see fish. And I thought, oh, no, I'm never going to do any good with this guy. And, boy, he had it out, and then he got these, not a tackle box. And I'm telling you, the other night when I fished, I could get my whole tackle box in my pocket. It's only has, it, only, it only has four compartments. Are you with me? And these four compartments hold all the bait I need, to tell you the truth, but not him. So he gets not a tackle box, but some multiple tackle boxes out. And he starts explaining to me, if the color of the water is this color, look at this. I pull this bait box out. And then he said, now if I look down into the water with these glasses and it's clear, then I'm going to pull this box out. And I'm like, boy, the logic sounds good. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't have this much bait, you know. And I definitely don't have this much knowledge. Reminds me of Christianity today. And so, boy, I'm really waiting to see how this works out. And so we get out to the pit, and, of course, Malachi and I are there, and we get in our boat. Pitiful little thing. <laughs> I mean, drag that. He had to get just the right angle, and the guy was guiding him in. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was on where to back the big fancy boat in, and here we were. We just kind of drug it off and down through the rocks. <laughs> We just drug it down through the rocks and set it in. <laughs> of course, he'd getting all, you know, got all this, I mean, serious gear. I had my Folgers can. <laughs> and I didn't want to get anywhere close to his boat because I didn't really want him to see what I was up to. <laughs> and for a while, I said, let's just not fish. Let's watch. And I looked across there, and I was close enough I could see so close that they would pay too much attention to us. And I keep thinking, man, they're just going to hook the big one, you know. No fish. And I can see they're retying on and getting another pole out. And, and this artificial bait has a, remember, artificial. <laughs> it has a way of reflecting the sun's light. It's not going to taste good to the fish hook them. Modern Christianity. We know every format on how to hook somebody into the church. It don't taste good, but we know how to hook them. And so pretty soon I start to get a little more confidence, like, hey, time for us to fish. Pull that little old worm out, break him in half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Open up my Folgers can, I'm getting more confident, get my Zep. Then that day I had Zepco 33. <laughs> And I put the broken worm. Remember, Christ was broken on the cross. So Psalm 22 said he is a worm and no man despised the men of reproach. So never laugh at a guy's worm that's fishing. And, and, 
It wasn't, I just cast it right out there. Whoa, hey. And it kind of make you want to like, got one. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know. <laughs> now, the, you know, got one. You know what I'm saying? You really, now you act like it's bigger than it is, you know, but got one. But the truth of this was that by the end of the day, I could have feed my family on what I caught. It wasn't a trophy fish because that's all artificial bait will catch for you is a trophy that you can brag on. And there's no bragging rights to any church or pastor around the country that brags on their numbers because I've got news. I'm going to stand with every one of you that's joined this church that I have responsibilities. I pray for you and teach you the Word of God. I'm going to stand with you at the judgment seat of Christ. And no one will be bragging if they want to stand. Now, that doesn't mean that God shouldn't do things around the country. I'm saying the under-shepherds, there's a reason you have an under-shepherd and they teach and preach and do what they're made to do. It's not a bragging situation. It's only bragging on this side of eternity. There's no bragging over there. So I asked today, are you a fisher of men? Like, where, what are you fishing with? What's your gear? And is it catching anything? I mean, do you have a tendency to use artificial bait? Or are we just laying the brokenness of our lives before Christ? Are we praying in secret? Are we actually going to those to catch them? Are you putting the broken bait, the simplicity that you have, that you know has worked for you, that fed your family? Does it feed the next family? Yes. The answer is yes to this. Or do we need some better method on how to do Christian? No, we don't need it. It's great if you have it. You're probably going to catch some. But the truth of the matter is, he's been catching a whole bunch of fish on a broken worm. You can walk on a worm and, and it's not a problem. He's under the ground. Everything above the ground catches the eye. It's prideful. And everything there is trying to get the attention and the applaud of men. But everything beneath the ground will never be burnt with fire. Everything, whether it's the silver, the gold, the precious stones, the worms, you have to climb a mountain a worm just goes right through it. The difference of a worm when you're fishing is that you get to go for the one who broken on the cross and then begin to plead his life into your as you crucified with him you let him do what he does best and that is give a fragrance to others that his brokenness and yours or the very love that you have for God I mean is this the thing we're fishing with or is it just so much methods like oh I can tell you how to build a church okay but I know the scripture says to Peter remember this same Peter I'll make you a fisher of men Hey, Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to build my church on this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. So that means that nothing in hell can prevail against God's church. What are we going to do with this message, simple message? Were you willing to respond with what you've got in God? God knows where you are. He knows you're going to be here today. And he knows how to wrestle the preacher up a little bit to get just kind of raw where there's no real fancy anything involved. Just the Holy Spirit. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would begin to move in the hearts of every person that's in here, wherever you are. Maybe you're in ministry. You've been in ministry. I don't know. Maybe God wants to call you to ministry. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe your marriage is in. I don't know. Maybe you're sick. Listen, if we prayed for you, we want to pray again. How's that? And again, and we just stay with the Lord on these things. 
Maybe you have these hopes and you wonder about your future. I don't know what God's stirring in you. Maybe you don't think there's a future. Maybe you've shook your fist at God and you said, I don't even believe in Him. If He was just, He wouldn't let this thing happen to me. I've hardened myself against God. Can you come honestly with that to the Lord? Because He'll receive you, I tell you that. He doesn't change His mind about the situation. He knew when He called Peter what Peter would be at the end. And yet all the way through, He knew A and Z and didn't know the elemental P. Is that what you think? That God didn't know where you'd be today and you had some kind of faith here, but today you're staggered by it? Do you know that Jesus actually knew when He called you how to make you a fisherman your whole life, how to start the work in you and finish the work in you? And I know I get accused all the time and it's true. They said, you're always winning the loss. That's right. That's what I'm made for. Amen. I am, I'm always going to be winning the loss. And I know some, listen, if you'll hear me, I know some of you are saved, but I got news for you on this, okay? Where's your stringer? Where is it? The saved that's already heard the message, bring them in. Let's see God save more. Let's mul- multiply around the county. What's the deal? If we don't have a stringer, we're using artificial bait. The real deal begins to be humble toward all the broken. The artificial church puts its nose up at anyone that has a problem or doesn't look like the civic club they tried to build. The real church came to Christ in brokenness, therefore receives all the broken to itself because they know God's strength is made powerful in weakness. The stringer. What have we done with it? You say the preaching's too hard, preacher. The question's not what will God do, but what will we do? And I'll tell you why I keep pushing in the area of prayer and before God for this. Because it's not enough to build churches that are solid with numbers and finances. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's not what God, Jesus Christ crawled on the cross just to do the, just that. He did that to build the church, but it's the church that would go out and stagger countries. Do you know what they said about the apostles when they went from town to town? These men who have turned the world upside down have now come to our city, and God began to transform. And normally, Paul the apostle went right to the synagogue to dispute with him that what they were up to was not working. Now, we've been through all that here. I'm not worried about that part of it, but what are we doing now? Like, what's God calling you to? What's your commitment in, in Him? What has He born you to and put you in a church and assembled you together? Where's the call? Where's the position? Where's, where's your response? What's the Holy Spirit doing? I mean, what's, what is He doing with us? Only you can answer those questions. I can see Z, but God has to do the LMNOP in between. So as we finish the day and we finish fishing, loaded up all the fancy bait, and I had learned valuable lesson that day let's do simplicity of christ but if jesus said to peter follow me and i will make you a fisher of men he did it through all of his staggering i'm gonna tell you something else on peter he walked on water jesus was walking on the water peter said lord if that's you bid me to walk and this guy steps off the boat remember the other 11 were there and didn't step off the boat but he steps off the boat and hits And for a few steps, he walked on water. Can I ask you something? You walked on any water? You think that's just a story in the Bible? Can I ask you something? If you're on the storm of your life and Jesus has already walked on it, can you ask him, Lord, I want to walk on it? Or are you just waiting to sink? 
Then he gets a bit farther thinking he'll defend Christ, cuts the ear off of a guy, and Jesus has to put the ear back on. He then comes to the cross site and starts warming his hands and denies Jesus there. His intentions were good. He said, before that, he said, Lord, I'll go with you to the cross and die with you. But he, did, he had the zeal but didn't have enough power to get the job done. There wasn't an ingredient within him that actually got the power and the job done for God. What was the difference there? Why were these apostles so staggered at the cross site? And now all of a sudden, here we see them in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God descends, lights their fire. What is it about the Spirit of God that we don't like that makes us uncomfortable? We don't want to talk about it. I mean, it's amazing how often we'll get out our bait box full of the Baptist doctrine and somehow exclude the Holy Spirit. And yet we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit's, Holy Spirit's kind of an off word. Are you with me? What is it about the Holy Spirit? I've been here before. I know that. But for me, it's not grievous. For you, it's safe. For me to preach the same thing again is not grievous. It's safe. Like what's the Holy Spirit knocking on our heart to do? What is He wanting you to do? What's he convicting of or leading? He doesn't always convict. He'll convince you of righteousness that you're in. He'll encourage you that you're in the right path. He'll lead and guide you to all truth. Do you have anyone else in your life that can do that? Our doctrine can't do that for us. But the Spirit of God hovers in a service like this. I'm glad that it's kind of quiet. Because I'm not satisfied with like just status quo stuff. Because I know God outside of that. Like what? In the leader, our class this morning, we're talking about like, where do we go with this? Does this mean, or, or has the idea always been, we hired the pastor to do that? You didn't hire the pastor. God bought him with a price. He's owned by one, and that's God himself. He's actually a slave to him. It means that whether he preaches here, there, or yonder, he will always preach. You see, this preacher prays that my last breath out of the earth is hotter against the devil and his crowd than the first one I ever prayed. I pray that I can always pray with tears. I don't want that nonsense. Those prayers that everyone knows. It's craziness. I want to have tears on my face when I pray. Because it means something to me. And I know that when I pray with tears, it moves God also. It moves this father. When his children have tears, why wouldn't it move God when his own? We pray these tears, oh, before dinner and all this. Sometimes I just want to say, quit it. Let's quit it. Until we can pray one that moves God's heart. It's my own examination. Am I becoming just a pastor? Just it's what you do. You drink a cup of coffee. You, hey, yeah, how you do? No! Amen. I'm out on that. I'd rather be in a jail cell than lullaby with the 70 degree temperature of Americanized Christianity. It's so different from the book of Acts. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, it's 70 degrees at la la la. You like the Worship, but the pastor's got three points in a poem. Great. Dr. Phil gets to make you feel good about your sin. No. 
craziness. The Spirit of God convicts us because Jesus Christ paid the price and God wants you to feel and experience the work that He does in the heart when you are crucified at the cross and then nevertheless live, but the power of resurrection now resides in you. This is the passion of Christianity. This is what the apostles went with from town to town. And they would beat them, put them in jail, and then they would pray, and God causes an earthquake, and the jail cell opens, and then they run to the next town. And what do they do? Preach again, Jesus Christ. And what do they do after that? They had to escape Him, runs to the next town. Guess what? Jesus! And they say, then they get him before the lawyers. You don't ever talk about Jesus again. And of course they must have went and ran to the next town and ran into the synagogue with the Jews. This this is in your Bible. And then said, no, this isn't what we do. And went, Jesus. Ah! That was the gospel. And these were 12, 11 after Judas betrayed. 11, that's all that was left. God tore up the Roman Empire with this. And yet we're sitting around wondering, well, are you Democrat or Republican? Get over it. Crazy. Our hope's not politics. This country is absolutely working itself against the Word of God. And I will be preaching that until I die. I can see it. It's obvious. There's some things in God's Word that we're doing that says not to do. How am I supposed to feel good about it as a preacher? Well, you're supposed to be politically correct. What? You think Paul was politically correct? You think Peter was when he went into town? And he could have escaped, but when he escaped, he said, Oh, I have denied my Lord once. I won't do it again. And when they got him, they hung him upside down. He said, because I can't be crucified in the same way my Lord was. And they crucified Peter upside down. Do you think it was politically correct for Timothy to get beat to death on a cobblestone road because he protested the worship of the goddess Diana? Do you think it was politically correct as they approached the cell of Paul with caution? Praying, Paul, we pray that we would be saved as you are before they took him out for a beheading. It's coming to America. Trouble's on its way. My concern as a pastor is that sheep hear the word, get their self right before God to have the kind of passion and strength that we see in the Scripture. And it looks crazy because we've done artificial bait so much and tried to hook people with something just because they were a trophy and what they could give, what they could do, rather than who they needed to be in Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of them like, my last time here, visited once. I don't know what time they eat chicken around here, but I'm in the first group out. Amen. Amen. You see, I've seen people healed. I don't care what the theology is about that, okay? I I don't care what the conversation is on that. I have known the power of God Himself 
I have met the drug and alcohol afflicted, the broken marriages, and I know one thing. When they will surrender themselves to the cross of Jesus Christ, humble themselves, get on altars that I ask you to get on and plead with God, I know He makes a difference in the life. That's what I know. So what if we do that? I say this. Would you please stand to your feet? We're going to give you an invitation. You say, what's the invitation? It's for anything and everything. If you've shaken your fist at God, you thought He was unjust over your circumstance, and I asked you to come get to the altars. If the Holy Spirit's convicted you, I'd like to ask this lady, as you've seen her come to the altar before there was any preaching, thank God. God can do it without a preacher. But I'll tell you, He'll do it after a preacher also. How are they going to hear it except a preacher? Are we satisfied to live just where we are? Where's the stringer? Are you in your life saying, man, I believe in Jesus, but pastor, I really don't. The Bible said if you're ashamed of Him and you don't profess Him before men, He will not profess you before His Father in heaven. If you're in unforgiveness and you hold that against others, God cannot forgive you. That's what the Bible says. I didn't write the book. I preach it. But I know one thing. God will never quit on you no matter where you are. He's long-suffering. He's waited no matter what your age is. He's wooed you. He's knocked on your heart. And maybe today is another invitation. Maybe it's another of many. Maybe it's the last. I have no way of knowing that. I ask one thing. Would you respond to him this morning? Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you have a prayer request or any other need, we would love to hear from you. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. Or call us at 620-848-3347. You may find us on Facebook and online at RivertonFBC.com. Our Sunday school classes begin at 9.45 a.m. with worship services at 10.45 a.m. In addition, small group Bible studies meet on Sunday nights in various homes within the community. Please join us on Wednesday nights for a community-wide meal at 6, followed by Bible study for all ages at 7. The church is located at 6895 Southeast Bluebird Lane, just two blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop or one block south of Community Bank and Trust and one block west. This is downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning at 8.30 for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.